The Start On Demand. demand. Many Winnipeggers are fed up by the rampant shoplifting that is plaguing our city, and we're going to meet a listener who did something about it. Last week, at the Superstore on Gateway, at the Liquor Mart Express, he and a couple of other customers saw two guys run in, get ready to steal stuff, so they stopped them. He'll tell us his story. Mayor Brian Bowman joins us to talk about what's happening with Sam Cates and the Gold Eyes, as well as Kildonan Park and the budget. Red River College is banning smoking and vaping on campus property. Have they gone too far, or is it about time? And bomber coach Mike O'Shea says if Chris Streveler is good to go, he's the guy on Friday. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, October 23rd podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb and Fortier, and I actually want to start with you, Fortier, before we do anything else, before we talk gold eyes, before we talk crime, North Kildonan, all the flashes last night. That's your hood. Yeah, that was pretty crazy, actually. Um, it was just before 9 o'clock, and all of a sudden, I could see on my balcony, just a bright blue flash. And at first, I'm thinking it's lightning, and the sky starts going orange. So I uh, go out front, and fire engines are coming everywhere. It was it was crazy. The sky was just orange. My power went halfway out. I unplugged all my TVs, all my electronics, just to keep them safe. And... Uh, yeah, it was, it was just <laughs> unbelievable, actually. How long did the lights stay at half power? Um, up until about around 10 o'clock, about 10 o'clock-ish, and then all the power went out, and then we had an announcement over our PA system saying, you know, there's a fire somewhere around McLeod and Rothesay. Uh, everything's fine, just keep keep into your suites, and uh, yeah, it was... You got a PA system? Do you have like morning <laughs> announcements like from the principal? <laughs> Stanford, <No>. Canada? <laughs> Thank God, no. <laughs> how, how long did the sky stay orange, Jeff? Because all over social media last night, there was people in different parts of the city that could apparently see it from the fire and then maybe the flash from the hydro uh, arc that happened on the line. I would say about uh, 1030. Uh, like the sky was orange for a good like hour. Like it was on and off. And, uh, yeah, but about 10.30, that's when all the power was off, and uh, I couldn't see the orange anymore. And then I was like, mm. I need to go to bed. <laughs> you, Greg? You live in North Carolina. I do. And at 8.59, I, I was watching the hockey game, and I got a message from Heather Steele, and we're, we're sort, of, sort of neighbors in North Caledonia. And she says, do you see what's happening in the southern sky? And I'm like, no, I'm watching hockey. <laughs> so I'm looking around. I'm wandering around the house, looking out different windows to get a perspective of this of the southern sky, and then finally I saw it, and it looked like War of the Worlds <laughs> because it looked like this orange light was actually emanating from above the clouds. It didn't really look like a reflection or refraction or any other sort of uh, lighting, uh, science, science fiction sort of thing. It was really bizarre to the point where I was commanding the children to uh, Google all sorts of different things in terms of what sort of atmospheric phenomenon this might be. <laughs> oh, like a science lesson for them. Well, that's a, because it had no idea what it was. And we've heard about the fact that we've been, ha- uh, might have had, uh, was, it, was it snow thunder or thunder mm-hmm. snow? And the temperature was right around zero last night. So I thought, oh, maybe that's what's going on. But right away you could tell it was concentrated in the area and And uh, as everybody mentioned, you just went on social media and on Twitter, I just Googled Winnipeg Sky and you saw all sorts Mm -hmm. of videos. So it was really freaky. And until you, you knew what it was, it was somewhat unsettling, I suggest. 
Well, well it's arcing power lines. It was the result. I think they said there was a fire from a tree falling and hitting the power line. And even with all that light, amazingly, it sounds like nothing was really burned in terms of structure damage and no one hurt in the end. I drove around there for a good 25 minutes this morning. The different places I kept rechecking our internal news wires to making sure that I had the right address and (laughs) and the right intersection. I'm like, yeah, that's where I am. I don't really see evidence of, of much at all. So uh, there we go. So if you were seeing that light, there was a hydro situation. Everything seems to be under control. There's no power outages, at least nothing I could see in that neighborhood. If you're having difficulty, 780-6868. But yeah, I woke up at 2.30 and the power is back on. Everything is fine. So, so there okay. you go. Doesn't look like any buildings were damaged in the fire, but it did melt some gravel and cement in the back lane. And you can see hmm. pictures of the scene at cjob.com been a while since I've seen the name Sam Cates in the news. What's going on here? Well, the Winnipeg Gold Eyes uh, have been at Shaw Park since 1997. Their lease is coming up for renewal in a couple of years. And I've mentioned this to several people on air. I don't think I've mentioned the fact that that Shaw Park looks as though it could use a little bit of, of some TLC. And apparently Sam Cates, the owner of the Gold Eyes, agrees he's looking to secure some financing to do some upgrades and to uh, do some repairs at Shaw Park. But he needs a new lease. And surprise, surprise, the city and Sam Cates are not seeing eye to eye necessarily on the value of the not only the the land and the property that Shaw Park sits on, but I think at contention, the biggest deal, Loren, has to do with the parking lots that the, the Gold Eyes are currently leasing for $1 a year. Right. And in addition to that, they get annual tax subsidies around $342,000. And when it comes to the parking lots, what the issue is there is that the, the lots are allowed right now to be run by the Gold Eyes, which brings in $375,000 a year. So we're going to have some questions for the mayor about this later in the show at 745. But, but we know that part of the question is finding that balance between how much do you help subsidize a team like this, which does bring apparently 200,000 people downtown every year. And then where's your balance with also bringing revenue into the city? Because we're also going to hear from the mayor, I'm sure, how cash-strapped the city is. And so how do you balance those two things? And we know that other teams, bombers, jets, they've also had their their share of subsidies over the years. And where do we go with that? And how far do we let those go on before we say, okay, that's good. You guys have to go off on your own now. Well, one of the head scratches for a lot of people is the fact that the the lease is not actually with the gold eyes in, themselves. Right. It's right. with a numbered company, which is supposedly an entity that is nonprofit. And uh, Sam Kate started that a long, long time ago in his battle against the amusement tax. That was one of the ways that that he challenged that and worked around it was the idea that, well, any profits will go to this to this charity, so to speak. And so that's the same business model that he used in order to to put this these parking lots under this umbrella. So I, I think that's going to be a, a whole new can of worms in conversation. And not to mention the fact, Brett, that 1997 versus today, downtown property values, yes. considerably different. And right. you mentioned that right next to it, there's a whole bunch of development going up. I think just kind of northwest of the park, you've got that whole new building with Richardson, just a lot of stuff happening. You want to reset the... The theft conversation here, and the the conversation re-entered the news run this week when there was a theft at a liquor store. Somebody posted a video uh, from a liquor store in Pemina. Here's Global's Merrick DeCash with details from Monday. 
This was the scene at a Fort Richmond liquor mart off Pembina Highway over the weekend. Video was shared of what appears to be a large group of teenagers stealing large amounts of alcohol, posted by a woman from Thompson who wishes to remain anonymous. I didn't know what to think. Now, to be honest, I was in shock that uh, they were probably in and out 50 seconds, if less, if not less. And I was really surprised that nothing, like, nobody did anything. So yesterday on Hal Anderson Afternoons, he was talking about this, and he spoke with Munther Zeed from Food Fair. Remember, Munther said he had the baseball bat, and he would chase after customers if need be. Uh, Theft apparently is going down a little bit at Food Fair. But James called Hal and told his story. I work at a uh, local music shop here in Winnipeg, a very busy one. And uh, every other day, or every day just about, we have uh, people walking in in uh, small groups like uh, working together kind of say like two or three shoplifters and uh, one bees a decoy and the other two go off to do what they need to do and uh, they're literally taking five thousand dollar gibson guitars off our wall and walking out the door with them and uh, we follow them out into the parking lot and take the guitar back and uh, depending on what staff is on hand if, if it's some of the ladies we we they don't do that so i mean we just have to let it go and we have uh, hd surveillance uh right when you come in it gets a snapshot of your face and uh we give this surveillance along with uh license plate numbers to the winnipeg police and uh, i don't think we've had one case closed yet out of uh, the you know the, the dozen or so that we've opened, uh, we haven't even heard anything back from them. So I know they're busy and it's backlogged and I we're at our wit's end. Wow. So it's not just liquor stores, it's everywhere. Everywhere. We're talking like, uh, I'm talking like uh, guitar amps that are the size of uh, half of a fridge. They're trying to just roll out the door with it. Like it, it if it's not nailed down, they're trying to take it. And every, every retail shop in the city is suffering. That is listener James in conversation with Hal Anderson Afternoons yesterday. Amps did, the size of half a fridge. Did he say every day they're facing something like this? Is every that, other day or every, every day, Loren. Wow. Yeah, that's what he's saying. And uh, I got a message in my uh, direct message on Twitter yesterday, something that we're following up, uh, reports of a, a liquor store that maybe was in lockdown yesterday. If you know anything about that, I'd like to hear from you. But we're trying to find out if that, in fact, was the case. This idea that people are getting frustrated and taking matters into their own hands, as we're going to hear about uh, also this morning. Everywhere you go, people are talking about this, mm-hmm. and it's becoming less rare to know someone, in fact, that hasn't witnessed something like this. In the past, it would be a rarity for you to witness what you would consider a crime, but more and more people are finding themselves right in the middle of a retail location while one of these things is going on. I stopped at a gas station outside of Winnipeg the other day, and it's one of those gas stations, you know, sometimes in small towns, they don't have an MLCC or they don't have a liquor store, so they have the liquor in, in a different grocery store or other. So in this case, in that, in that neighborhood, the gas station also had alcohol, and I just casually mentioned to him, you know, have you seen anything? And he's like, honestly, I'm surprised I haven't yet. But then he detailed all the things he's gone through to prepare himself for the possibility of that happening over the last few months, right? So he's added all these security cameras. He talked about what he has behind the counter, and I won't go into detail. It's not a weapon, but the different things he would walk through and use should it happen to him. So now you even have these small independent retailers in areas that haven't 
been impacted yet worrying about this wave right it feels like a wave of crime that's just spreading through like you know first it was liquor then it's meats and cheeses and now this guy's talking about guitars like come on manitoba text from don who says it's not frequent but 53 foot trailers have been stolen from terminals so yeah like when you think about stealing a bottle of booze that's one thing but to take a five thousand dollar gibson guitar off of a shelf at a music store and just stroll out of the building it's it is getting frustrating and i do understand why customers like luke who we're going to meet at 707 uh, are deciding to say hey we got to put a stop to this not encouraging i'm certain by saying that i'm not encouraging anybody to do it and we're going to talk to a lawyer at 807 and ask should we be making citizens arrest but I certainly understand the frustration. I actually, I, I remember this goes back probably eight years ago, 7-Eleven on St. Mary's just uh, north of Bishop Grandin. And uh, there was a guy who looked like he was 40 years old and he stuffed, a, he was drunk and he stuffed a sub sandwich under his shirt and walked out. And I, I said, hey, I saw what you did. And then I told the clerk, he just stole a sandwich. And then I chased after him. And he got away. Yeah. But I like. It, has it changed the way you're also looking in stores? I was at a grocery store a couple of days ago and um, saw somebody come in and we're walking really quickly, like to a very specific counter, right, and grabbed um, a thing of meat. And in my mind, I was like, I'm gonna watch them. Like I feel like yeah. this is this is going down. And it was it was like just a young man, like no, you know, I, I, I there was no reason for it. And then he went to the till, and then I was like, Oh, Loren, like you're this, you know, you're assuming everybody's a criminal. But because it's like feels like it's so rampant and almost everyone I know has seen it, you know, has been at some sort of store and witnessed it over the last few months. And so you start to I, I felt like I was like this detective in the store, like following this poor person around. <laughs> well, we're on high alert all the time now. It feels doesn't matter if you're in a retail setting. I noticed this morning I'm in a new routine. I might have mentioned it the other day when I get into my car and I've stopped leaving anything anything visible in uh, the cockpit of my car. I make sure that the, the all the little different compartments are closed. I take my charging cable out. I put it in the in the glove box because I'm, I'm thinking that anything appetizing whatsoever could engage somebody who's looking for something. And now, even in my driveway, I get in my car, I turn it on, and I lock the door. Because I have the automatic locks, but those don't engage until eight miles an hour, whatever the statistic is. I lock it automatically because if I'm going to check my email, I'm not as aware of my surroundings. I set my alarm for my house from my phone, and I just make sure that the house is locked. And when it comes to this theft, Brett, I have this rule in relationships. It's only as important to me as it is to you. And if these retailers are taking the wait-and-see approach and the hands-off approach, man, I, the last thing I'm doing is getting in the middle of that. But we'll find out why, why somebody else had a different thought on it. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore, Jeff Fortier. And yesterday we learned that Red River College is banning smoking and vaping on its campuses, effective January 1st, 2020. New policy is part of its plan to provide a healthy environment for students, employees, and visitors. College is also offering free programs to help people stop smoking through its health center. Smudging and pipe ceremonies, though, will be exempt from the new smoke-free policy. So when I got this email yesterday from Red River College, I had uh, very mixed emotions on it, so I was curious to know what you guys thought about it. So... 
Jeff Braun, why don't we start with you, sir? Uh, I guess you can still walk out to the sidewalk or whatever. You just got to leave the property. A bit more of a hike, but it's doable. And as a former smoker, I would make that trek as often as necessary to get my little fix. Yeah, like down, I think the downtown campus, the Princess Street campus, is not a big deal because the exit leads right to the sidewalk yeah, on yeah. William at Princess, so that's not the property. But if you're at the Notre Dame campus... Uh, Probably that, a bit of a hike, depending yeah. on where you are. But yeah. yeah. What do you think, Kelly? Well, being a non-smoker, I would applaud this because there's nothing I hate worse than walking through a plume of smoke or... Uh, putting my jacket in a closet, and it's beside that of a smoker, so... It smells uh, good, Kelly. Oh, <laughs> in your humble oh, opinion, okay. Mr. Brock. But, uh, no, so I, I, I would be for it. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, you, you do have to have some type of consideration for smokers, so... Uh, I, I guess, you know, you, you're going to have to make some concessions that if you're going to make people walk further to uh, look after their habit, uh, then uh, you're going to have to understand that they might be a little bit later arriving at class. Do, I don't know. Do we have to, um, this is a genuine question, do we have to have that consideration for smokers? Like, we don't allow drinking in public. We're not allowed to use cannabis in public. And I'm not suggesting like a full public ban on smoking, but it seems like we have this odd line when it comes to what we do and don't allow when it comes to different social behaviors. And so the consideration has always been given to smokers because perhaps that came first in the evolution of these things. But, you know, you go to any building and there might be a bylaw that says that person can't smoke within a certain hundred feet of the doors and that's never enforced, right? So you are often walking through clouds of smoke no matter what the law said. And so when you have the campus ban, I, I get that. That means that you're not going to encounter that if you walk through campus. I don't know how they're enforcing it, but I, I think it's interesting. Well, they're not enforcing that 60 meter, 30 no. meter zone around the entranceways. So it will be interesting to see how you enforce it. As a non-smoker, I appreciate the intent of that zone around the front doors and entranceways, but... Man, let me tell you, that really ends up just being a congregation spot for right. people who are smoking. So it ends up actually being a double whammy. Mm. Nobody's supposed to be there doing it, but it turns out to be everybody's there doing it. But I totally re- hear what you're saying, Brad. Uh, I mean, people are being vilified for for this uh, social ill as it's being seen and and paying an extra price for it, too. I it's really a difficult situation. I, I, I commend Red River for taking a stand on it, but I think you're alienating some people that are, are, are solid citizens. They're not criminals. Yeah, and I think that's where why I had mixed emotions in this, because I think back to my time at Red River College, and again, I was at the, the Princess Street campus, so it's no problem for me to walk out the door and around the building if I have to, but Red River College is stressful. It is intense. Anybody who's gone to Red River College, it's uh, it's like boot academic boot camp, and I when I went to college, I was a smoker, and if I had to walk like too far to the point where I would be late for class because and I guarantee you they, they would not like yeah. I was late for a class once and my my instructor wouldn't even let me in yeah he said yeah. if you can't show up on time don't show up at all so that would be a challenge so yeah I kind of feel like why especially the Notre Dame campus why can't you just have a designated spot that is maybe not a high traffic area yeah I, I guess the the thing maybe if you're a smoker and you're gonna go to school at Red River and you're not allowed to smoke on the campus 
I don't know whether you, uh, you know, you chew the nicotine gum or whatever it is to, you know, help you get uh, through. Because obviously, you know, I would say, what, what, what would your class day be in between breaks? Three, four hours or something like that? Yeah. It could vary wildly, especially, yeah. especially in a place yeah. like Red River where the courses are so different. So right? the comparison I would draw, if you're on a longer flight, say three or four hours, you can't smoke on there. And, and and you have to get through that. So, you know, there's, to me, maybe just going it with that mindset that you're on a long flight and you can't smoke. It might be a little easier today than it was for Brett and I when we were in college, because that was eons ago. <laughs> Thank and you, Jeff. Thank kid, you, Jeff. The kids in college now would, they grew up in an environment where it was a pain in the butt for them to find a place to go smoke. Whereas when Brett and I started smoking, you could smoke in restaurants, you could right. smoke yeah. in wherever you were. Right? Well, it's just like high school now. You can't smoke on property at high school. That came in effect when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah we could, I, when I was in high school, we could smoke it right outside the doors. Do you think this would lead to just a bunch of people? Like, it's banned on campus, so in theory, you couldn't go into the parking lot into your car. But I'm wondering if that's what some people will just choose to do, go into their car and, and smoke in there. Oh. And then, and then for me, that doesn't that create like a more stinky environment? Yeah, like when I, someone's trapped in their car or a designated smoking area, you just everyone reeks. I wonder if that would count if you're in your car. By the time I you're near your okay. car, you're right near the sidewalk, anyways. So. Well, if you're in your, but car, in the winter, I get my car. I should probably be okay. Yeah. I like this from Ken, and I've noticed this as well. I think all businesses should follow the example of Kildonan Place Mall and paint the bylaw regulated distance from the door. On the sidewalk. Smokers don't care. I used to ignore stuff like that all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Things and times have changed, Jeff Uh, Braun. And at Kildonan Place, I know exactly the entrance where it's done. I don't know if it's done at all of them, but I've seen that. People, that's a little bit of an extra reminder for folks. Yeah, if the instructions are there, like at the airport, for example, if you're uh, waiting to go into the airport to get on a flight, there is a. It tells you exactly where you can go. It's just out of the way, so you're not. It's like just beyond all the drop off, so you're not bothering anybody over there. Tampa uh, Bay's airport has a nice tarmac cage where you go to smoke. A tarmac cage. <laughs> it's a full mesh wire fence. All around you, you're just stuck in it with a bunch of smoking like TSA that. agents. It is. It's trap weird. them, trap all the smokers into a cage area, and then have a cage match. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. We want to start this hour. With theft, as the conversation continues this week on theft, after another video surfaced of a group of young people stealing booze from a liquor mart on Pemina, which follows the Tyndall Park video that popped up a few weeks back. But it's not just liquor stores. On Hal Anderson Afternoons yesterday, Hal got a call from James, who works at a music store. And as we heard at 637, he says people just walk out the door with $5,000 Gibson guitars and then staff have to chase after them to get their stuff back if they can. And James says this kind of theft is happening everywhere. I'm talking like uh, guitar amps that are the size of uh, half of a fridge. They're trying to just roll out the door with it. Like it, it, if it's not nailed down, they're trying to take it. And every every retail shop in this city is suffering. And since it's happening everywhere, many Manitobans are getting fed up. We got a text message yesterday morning from listener Luke, and it reads, I was watching the news Monday and this, and this morning about liquor store robberies. 
These pictures were taken last Wednesday at the Superstore and Gateway after two people ran in and tried to rob the liquor mart. Me and another customer decided to do something about it finally. So he sent us a couple of pics, and you can see them in the 680CJOB Instagram story of he and this other customer who took somebody down. His name is Luke Bodek, and he joins us now live on The Start. Luke, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you? Doing very well. So I guess walk us through what happened. Uh, well, we basically, we were at the superstore with my mom, and we were already at the checkout, and there was uh, one more couple in front of us with the, with a the newborn. And then all of a sudden, the like two guys ran in with their hoodies on and bandanas on through the exit and right for the liquor mart, and I'm like, Mom, look what's going to happen. And so it, it must have took not even 10 seconds for them to run in and right away for the liquor mart and start grabbing bottles and putting them in their backpacks. And so I was thinking, I was thinking like, if the couple in front of us with the newborn goes to like load their groceries, as those guys are running out, they're gonna they're gonna hit her and and, and the baby, right? So I kind of I kind of squeezed by her and uh, faced the back of the look like my back was facing the liquor mart, and so I was, to make it look like I was going out the exit of superstore, and it's a really narrow aisle there, so uh, one of them has to kind of nudge me to get by me, and so one nudged me, and then I turned around and I grabbed the other guy and kind of started wrestling in the aisle and somehow we ended up back at the checkout just through like just tussling around and then uh the guy at the checkout that was that was beside us decided to help me and so did the father of the child and so all three of us kind of like we swung against the wall and flipped him over and uh and then i put my arms around around his neck with to try and like get him into a chokehold because he was kicking and flailing around and so after he calmed down for a bit, I said, okay, like, we're going to flip you over and kind of undress you because he said he couldn't breathe. So we undid his jacket and uh, took his bandana off. And then we just waited for the police to show up. How long did it take for the police to show, Luke? It took about anywhere from 20 to 25 minutes. And no one was hurt, or uh, yourself or the suspect? Well, the, the guy said he couldn't breathe, right? So, I, so after we flipped him over, I'm like, touch all your fingertips. Um, and I offered him water, right, which he refused. So, Luke, at any what point in this, and maybe it didn't happen, you know, we're all talking about how we might react in those situations. And so often they're hypothetical, right? Like, what would you do if you witnessed A, B, or C? And so you're witnessing this crime happen. We've heard from police to say, caution Winnipeggers not to intervene. And we're going to talk to a lawyer later about rights. But was there any point in your mind you thought, ah, I don't know if I should be doing this? Like, what if you get hurt? What, 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 why risk your own bodily harm? Well, that's the thing. When we were kind of resting, I'm th- I, I was thinking, like, oh, I hope this person doesn't have a knife or anything on him, right? But uh, it was like, if I was, if I was with my kids, I probably wouldn't step in. Yeah, I've said that as well. If I'm with my kids, I'm probably reacting much differently. But it sounds to me and it Luke, was more so, it was more so for the family that was kind of in, in front of us because if, as, if they went to go load their groceries, those guys would have hit that lady and kid. I was going to say, it sounds like that was where the selflessness came in. You were actually stepping in. You were trying to protect that, that family and in, protect, in particular that, that little baby. Yeah. Did the police say anything to you about the fact that you did intervene? No. Didn't say anything. Um, what else? Uh, after I gave my statement, uh, I, asked, I asked the police officer, so what's going to happen to him now? And the police officer said, you know what, he's probably going to be released tonight or tomorrow. So how do you know you've so been really, listening? There's, there's really no consequences for it, which makes me wonder: Would I do it again? 
Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to ask. You've been listening to the conversations we've had here at CGOB and else, you know, Global TV throughout the city about this kind of stuff. And and I can appreciate your frustrations. D- d- where are you at in terms of how you feel now going forward and what would you do again? Again, if there was a kid, if there was another like young family in front of me with, with kids, I'd do it again. If I was by myself and there was like nobody around, I, I'd probably think twice. Uh, Luke, when I'm listening to your explanation of this, I get the sense, maybe I'm wrong, that you have some either self-defense training or first aid training, both. Do you have anything uh, no, like no. that? Surprisingly, uh, no, no no self-defense training. Um, I, I, obviously, I have kids, so I have first aid training, but that's about it. No self-defense, nothing. What do you think about all this, you know, about what we should be doing? Do you have any thoughts of how we can clamp down on this and stop we talked about guitars being stolen meat cheese like all sorts of things what are your thoughts just as a winnipegger on what should be done the store clerk should be able to get involved i because to my understanding like security can't get involved and the store clerks i i understand the store clerks maybe not but security should be able to get involved and and do something about it not just stand and watch well, Luke, thank you very much for sharing your story. Thank you for sending us those pictures. Mm-hmm. We appreciate it. And we're just glad that uh, you or nobody got hurt in this incident. Did only one of the suspects get arrested? Yeah, the other one got, the other one got away, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Uh, are you going to go back to that, uh, that liquor store? Yeah, I go to shopping all the time. Okay. <laughs> all right. Luke Bodek joining Can't us live. Right? Well, Luke, hey, thanks for, uh, for sharing the story. We appreciate the time. And thanks for getting up early to have a chat with us on the start. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you very much, guys. Have a good day. That last message, Kodak. that last messenger, you can't be afraid, right? right? I like that. I dig that. I do too. I, that, I, I, I get everything that went through his head and it's so crazy how fast it all happens. And yet you still have those thoughts, right? Okay. There's a kid, there's a mom, there's an aisle over here. You know, I'm going to stop him on this point, like how fast stuff can happen, but how much, clearly how much, how clear he was and what he was trying to do. And I, and that's so fascinating. Well, we also got a text message here at 204-780-6868 saying this is what happens when you try to stop someone stealing from a liquor store. And it's a picture of their hand uh, sliced open, $250 ambulance ride. And uh, this happened at the River and Osborne store in April. And uh, big, huge stitches and still uh, looks like a big scar and still some numbness Mm. as a result of that. So uh, certainly dangerous. It worked out okay for Luke. But, uh, you know, police will always say, don't try to intervene because you could get hurt. And after eight, we'll talk to a defense lawyer about what your rights are. And, you know, and it's one thing we've talked in the past about defending your own personal property, guys, like if someone came into your yard. But what about if you're defending property of someone else in a store? Where do your rights lie? Winnipeg Blue Bombers play their final home game, as you probably know by now, of the 2019 regular season. That's Friday night at IG Field versus the Calgary Stampeders. The Bombers need a win to keep their ever-so-slim chances of hosting the West semifinal alive. With Monday's election, the coach's show moved from its regular Monday time slot to last night. As is often the case, the focus of discussion was the quarterback position. Bob Irving asked the coach about Chris Strevler's warrior-like performance on Saturday night. He finished the game and, um, you know, was running around out there towards the end of the game still and... So we gave him the day off today. We'll see what he looks like tomorrow. He was running around, but he was also limping quite prominently at the end of the game. Not while he was running. No, no. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to run with a limp. So he's got had today off. 
Yeah, like a lot of guys. A lot yeah. of guys had the day off. So we uh, basically had a walkthrough practice anyway. So trying to get them as fresh as possible for this next contest. So we took it easy physically on, on everybody because there's lots of guys that this is the time of year where you need to figure that rest is best. And then uh, we'll play this game and see if we can't ramp up the physicality again. Now, many have wondered, some out loud, quite, quite loudly, in fact, about the decision to let Strevler continue playing Saturday when he was obviously hurt at different points. You could see him favoring his ribs, his wrist, or his ankle. Coach O'Shea didn't waver on whether or not it was the right call to leave 17 in the game. Somebody goes to Al or Al has to go out in the field and they make a quick assessment. The doctor takes a look. They have a quick determination. It's kind of a mash unit thing about what, what's going on and whether or not that they can continue. And uh, for some injuries, it's very obvious right away. You're not, you're not going to let a guy continue. And there's others where if they can demonstrate that they can do their job and they have no hesitation doing their job and there's no risk to, to further injury or anything like that, well, then they're cleared to play. By the way, Al is Alain Couture, the club's head athletic therapist. Strevler, along with some others, had the day off from practice yesterday, which meant, to a certain extent, a first real look at newly acquired veteran quarterback Zach Caleros. Well, once again, it was a walkthrough type pace, so it wasn't like a competitive training camp practice. We were trying to save their legs, so mm-hmm. it's it's hard to tell in those types of situations. But yeah, he certainly come a long way in terms of the playbook. Uh, he's a pro. He's going to figure out what he doesn't know and learn that quickly, too. Of course, Bob Irving did more than host the coaches' show last night. He was at Blue Bomber practice yesterday and spoke to Caleros after he got off the field and asked him, Hey, you ready to go? Um, I guess we'll have to see. Um, you know, obviously, like I said, I'm, I'm going to be as prepared as I possibly can be uh, for the game. You know, the one calming thing, no matter who's going into the, the huddle, is uh, the group of guys there. Um, you know, it's a very, very locked-in veteran group of guys. The communication is, is something I really haven't been a part of, um, something like this, the way that uh, they communicate protections, they communicate coverage, uh, hot adjustments. Uh, they're always talking. You know, I always say when you're facing a defense that's like that, which our defense is here, uh, it's always a scary thing. And you know, But offensively, it's a really calming feeling, uh, knowing you're back there with a guy like Andrew Harris who, you know, isn't going to miss a protection. And, and the guys we have up front have been playing together for a long time. So um, no matter who's out there, you, you can have confidence that you're out there with a, a veteran group of guys that love the game and, and they're going to lay it out there on the line for you. Bob also asked O'Shea about his approach to Friday's game and who should start or not start at QB? Caleros? Are you dying to have a look at him in a Blue Bomber uniform? I, I want to win a game, whatever it's going to take. Yeah, that's... Obviously, priority one has to be. Eh? It never changes. Never changes. Uh, those who would love to see either him or Sean McGuire, they would say to you, Mike O'Shea, why don't you, you know, give Strebler the day off and get a look at those other two guys. You know, you're in the playoffs. Don't worry about yeah. Friday. What do you say to that? Hosting a playoff game is still on the line. So we're going to make good decisions that uh, give us the best chance to win a game. So, Coach, is it Chris Strebler that gives you the best chance to win? So if Strebler has reasonable mobility come Friday, because that's important to him, would he still be your guy? Yeah, absolutely. He would start. If he can go, he can go. But he'll have to be able to move, right? Because that's He'll have to be he, able to do a lot of things, do everything yeah. that a quarterback needs to do. Yeah, but in particular, in his case, move, right? Yeah, he's, that's one of his 
one of his many assets, that's for sure. We have the mayor of Winnipeg, uh, Brian Bowman, normally in studio with us, but I understand you've got a pretty busy morning, uh, Mr. Mayor, and so we've got you on the phone. Yeah, nice. To, thanks for letting me join you remotely. Uh, morning to, to all of you. So I want to start off with uh, uh, something that's coming to City Hall next week, and this involves the deal that we're trying to work out with the Winnipeg Gold Eyes on the stadium, which sits on city-owned land uh, before that 25-year lease expires in 23. So just for background for our listeners, under the original deal, they've been paying $1 a year to lease this park from the city, and they also get annual tax subsidies to about $342,000. And then, of course, there's also the parking lots that they use and apparently get about $375,000 a year income for the team and so at issue is how much we're going to continue subsidizing what we're going to do with these parking lots and it's raised lots of questions mr mayor about whether or not we need to still uh be working with the gold eyes in this manner or is it time to start making some money or getting some money back at least in tax revenue or rent from the winnipeg gold eyes um okay so i mean <laughs> firstly <laughs> I can keep going with more facts, but I, I, one of the things is we have a, we have a property and planning and development committee uh, that the administrative report uh, that was published yesterday will be going to next week. Um, I haven't had an opportunity to review the report because uh, it hasn't come to executive policy committee uh, yet. So I'll have more to say once I have a chance to read this administrative report that was that went live yesterday. Um, but it'll be before the um, the property and planning. The one thing I will say is. Um, especially when we want to make sure, um, especially given some of the parties involved, we want to make sure public trust is maintained throughout the deliberations at City Hall. And the one thing I would say is, um, you know, I would urge all of the all of the parties that might be lobbying uh, to register as lobbyists. I think it would go a long way. Um, I, my understanding is the the phone lines have been burning up between uh, the Gold Eye Stadium and, and City Hall, and I think it would go a long way to just have uh, public trust maintained through the process to, to register as, as a lobbyist if, if folks are, in fact, lobbying. So with the deal, and just this will be our last question on this because we have a bunch of other things. Sure. Part, yeah. of the, part, part of the question about it is uh, whether or not, at the very least, you know, a city consultant recommended three years ago that they should at least pay some rent. And so far, Riverside, which is the group that oversees the stadium, doesn't think that's fair. Do you think there, at the very least, needs to be a different deal? I understand you may not know the particulars of what's being proposed, but the current yeah. deal, it needs, it, does it need to be changed? Well, you're right. I mean, there there were a number of deals with a number of uh, professional sports teams that uh, uh, the current uh, current mayor and, and current uh, council is inheriting. Um, as these things come up, there's absolutely going to be debate and discussion. I, I'd like to read the report first, and then I'll have more to say afterwards. Mr. Mayor, I know we tweeted out the agenda that we were going to discuss with you, but uh, we're just going to throw you a little curveball here because I'm looking at sure. uh, one of well, the top stories. media, you never do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't dare us. Uh, but looking at CJOB.com, one of our top headlines, yeah. Storm Aftermath Leaves Kildonan Park Restaurant's Future in Jeopardy, talking about Prairie's Edge. I just went there for the first time like two weeks ago, loved it, yeah. and now yeah. the idea that it might close is kind of scary. So what's the, what's the plan to get that park reopened? Uh, you know what? It's uh, it's obviously the the storm has left um, a, a tremendous mess in its wake. Um, I, the plan is to try to get it open as quickly as possible because there are businesses and there's also a lot of folks who use uh, one of our most beautiful parks. Um, I love Kildonan Park, uh, Saint Vital. I mean, many of the parks have have suffered damage, and the reason for the closures were just to make sure that everyone is as safe as possible given some of the damage. And so 
Uh, I know right now uh, we're, we're not uh, holding back on resources that are being used to, to help with the cleanup on public lands. And we want to see that opened as quickly as possible. You're right. The restaurant's outstanding. Um, they, they run a good business here in the city of Winnipeg, and we want to do everything we can to, to not aggravate businesses. But this, this storm has affected a lot of people, and a lot of organizations are doing some good work, especially those that have come in from out of province. And I, I want to thank them, thank the crews for the work that they're doing, uh, which uh, they, they really jumped to the pump last week and and that work is going to be ongoing for many many months and obviously some other jurisdictions regina and saskatoon in particular jumping to the aid of the city here and then of course all the hydro crews and everything just back to that kildonan park situation now with the prairie's edge thing sort of front of mind is there is there any thought to to maybe reconsidering how kildonan park is is handled just based on the fact that, that there's an enterprise there whose future could be in jeopardy if we don't get this done quickly you know what, to be honest, guys, this is the first I'm hearing of this. Okay. So I'm, I'm trying to do my best to, to respond, but I just, this is the first I'm hearing of it. I know that the park was closed for safety reasons. It wasn't the only park. And obviously what I want to see is, and I think everybody would agree, we want to see it opened as quickly as possible. And that if anything can be done to mitigate the impact on a business located in the park, obviously we want to see that done. But uh, I'll look into it further. This is the first I'm hearing of this. Okay, well, we appreciate that, Mayor Bowman. Yeah, now, no Friday, you, you came before the media and you suggested that the public be braced for, quote, difficult decisions in the upcoming four-year budget. And you outlined some specific numbers here. Increases for police, fire, transit expected to be held at at 2% per year. That property tax increase, 2.33%. We're all familiar with that by now. Now, this is going to be presented in February, the draft budget for years 2020 through 2023. I know that's going to have a lot of people asking a ton of questions. Our question for you has to do with uh, the budget for rapid transit expansion and road infrastructure, because it sounds like you have some ominous uh, warnings about that second one for sure. Sure. Well, I'll I'll maybe uh, just start. I mean, this is the first time the city of Winnipeg has uh, undertaken a four-year balance, like multi-year balance budget exercise. And there are absolutely going to be some difficult decisions that have to be made. And there's an opportunity to really be transformative about where we prioritize the limited resources that we have at City Hall. And uh, for the first time ever, all members of council will have the opportunity through the standing policy committees at the front end to hear directly from the departments in a public, open and transparent way and provide their input to EPC before we we table the budget uh, as we're required to under the legislation. But with public public road infrastructure in particular, the target that we've set for annual increases is 1.5%. And uh, that's aligned with, uh, with, with what we projected uh, going forward. And so road infrastructure, there still will be difficult decisions to be made, but uh, the road infrastructure commitments are, are, are being respected and prioritized. Um, the other one in terms of rapid transit, um, I'm very happy that we're about to open the rapid transit line out to the University of Manitoba in the spring uh, on, you know, un- under budget and, and certainly on time. And um, the future lines are subject to the master transportation plan that's being worked on for transit right now. And that work is under underway over the course of the next year. We had talked in the past about the next phase of that transit, Mr. Mayor, uh, and it might potentially be you know, a line from uh, downtown uh, north. Is that still where we're looking next? Or what, where do you think the next process needs to begin and where that next line should go? 
I know the, I know that there has been work in, in studying looking at uh, the next line going to Transcona. Um, I, I, I want to see kind of a more holistic view of where would be the, the future lines. And so you're right, it could be uh, north, it could be to the airport. Um, we need to take a look at not just what makes sense for the next line, but also funding sources, because uh, the commitment of other levels of government has changed since I was initially elected in 2014 as it relates to, to rapid transit. And we have to make sure that we are we are building uh, modern public transportation in a way that can be supported by uh, partners that we need, including the province and the federal government. Mayor, Mayor Bowman, I guess we're out of time. We are out of time. That wraps it okay. up, Mr. Mayor. No more curveballs. That's okay. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I pre- appreciate you raising that. I will be looking into that today. And uh, have a great day, guys. Sorry, I can't see you in person. That's quite all right, sir. We got to see him on TV, at least. He was on Global News Morning, so we appreciate the time, as always. Our monthly visit with Brian Bowman, live on 680 CJOB. <music> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Normally when we bring in this next guest, it's to talk about pretty serious stuff. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman with Clinic Psychology. But... He has brought in his friends from the Winnipeg Improv Festival to tell us about a show that is happening tomorrow to kick off the festival called Celebrate Everything and teaming up with your initiative, Winnipeg Love. So, Raymond, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you. And to Stephen Sim, who is the artistic director and founder of the Winnipeg Improv Festival. 20 years, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you. That is indeed worth celebrating. Yeah, yeah I thought we would celebrate that. <laughs> so what's the tie in here, Raymond? What's the connection? How did you get hooked up with the Winnipeg Improv Festival? Uh, well, you know, the thing is uh, the Celebrate Everything thing has really been taking off. Like, uh, you know, I have to give kudos to, you know, the St. James Schools Division, the Ruiz Transcona School Division, and uh, just yesterday I found out that actually um, Bernie Wolf Community School actually put up Diwali lights for the entire community in their school. So that th- things are really taking off. University of Manitoba is kind of interesting, these things. But um, we've had a connection through uh, some of the organizers of the TEDx Festival. Uh, Stephen Sim is an MC and the, is on the steering committee and is also the director of uh, the Improv Festival. And uh, they got to talking and they wanted to do this wonderful full show to share stories, uh, people's stories about the holidays that they celebrate. And that's often the piece that's missing, right? Things often seem very foreign to people. Um, but understanding their experiences and understanding what we share in common through our stories is ultimately the way to, to build those bridges. And so these wonderful people at the Improv Festival are assisting with that. It's their idea. We're, we're wonderful, it turns out. It's <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> <That's> great. <laughs> so uh, is it going to be an improv-type show? Oh, yeah. It's how, a, how, how is this set up? And, and there's got to be some entertainment value, oh, I, I imagine. Of course. Stories, first of all, are entertaining. Um, but, yeah, it's an improvised show. So what we're going to be doing is we've invited, we've invited a number of guests to come and uh, share their stories. So they are on the stage. We give them that stage. Uh, to tell the story, to tell their story, a true story of uh, how they celebrate something. And then the improvisers are hearing that story for the first time, and in a way, that's their suggestion, that's their inspiration. Mm -hmm. And then they launch off from there and create uh, improvised scenes inspired by elements of those stories. And then another person steps onto the stage, tells a whole other story from a whole other perspective, and we get another true story, and that's another true inspiration for some more scenes. So it's just that back and forth of true stories and made-up scenes. 
And then you talked about it being foreign, Raymond, but this seems like a way that can really help to kind of, uh, I don't want to say humanize, but really put things into perspective for somebody who maybe isn't familiar with these things that are being celebrated, right? To have it sort of interpreted. Yeah, I'd use the words normalize. I mean, I think because we tend to see people who come from different cultures and different backgrounds almost as abnormal just because they aren't things that we are familiar with. And I think this is stuff that we need to take as a society. And I think, you know, artistic directors and artists and uh, are, way, are really great mediums by which to kind of transfer that message into society. So I know you. why I agree with that statement, but yeah. why do you make it in terms of of artists and, and being the, the right channel, so to speak, for this yeah. sort of uh, awareness or enlightenment campaign to a certain extent? Well, I mean, it's the same reason that we do all the stuff that we do on, on your radio station, the whole, you know, um, psychology in the city. The idea is that we need to get the message out and artists and media are the way in which that we see life. You know, art imitates life and life imitates art. Um, and that's why we need to do it through this media. Stephen, uh, are artists uh, traditionally more open in terms of uh, of the way we view others from from either other cultures or other communities, even with within a broader arts community? I think so. To a certain degree, artists are are looking to expose themselves to different experiences. They and they want to show their experiences. They're they're into sharing them pieces of themselves and, and their stories. So they're they're more open to that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. The show Celebrate Everything is tomorrow night, 8 o'clock at the Gas Station Art Centre. There are five public shows, but you've also got, I believe, a variety of workshops. Uh, for So for somebody, like, for example, I'm recently single, terrible at picking up women. If this, I take an improv class, <laughs> is that something that could maybe encourage or help no, me? No, it's not. This is not like a pickup artist thing, is that? I know. Okay. But, but in general sense, improv, um, like, is that something it, that can help someone give, who maybe... It's not more, good with small talk. For it's going gonna, gonna to increase your confidence, your self-confidence. And improv is about listening. So it is going to help you uh, with being present, being, lis- uh, being able to listen to uh, another person and be engaged and be in the moment and not be up in your head, not be afraid. So Im- improv is going to absolutely help you out socially. Uh, and, and there are workshops that we're uh, offering on the Sunday of the festival. So the festival runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Then on the Sunday, there's a, we have a, an improviser coming in from Montreal who's a fabulous performer and teacher. He's going to be teaching a workshop on Sunday that's open for the public. I'm on the website, winnipegimprov.com. Is that the best way to get information and to sign up for those sem- seminars, Stephen? That's exactly true. All right. Well, yeah. And you focused on and what you said there to be more present and yeah. to listen better. And then that ties back into your message, Raymond, is that you just want people to be present and listen. But yes. sometimes maybe we don't know how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think we get stuck in our own minds and we get stuck in our own narratives, right? Seeing the world only through our own worldviews. Uh, when we get to be present, when we get to understand and we get to hear instead of just talk, uh, we can understand that our, our own worldviews can broaden. And get bigger. And uh, at the Improv Festival, there's going to be a lot of laughs, too. And so that laughter also, it releases uh, some, yeah. you know, I'm no, I'm no uh, brain scientist, but it releases chemicals <laughs> uh, <laughs> inside your brain. Yeah. And uh, that uh, 
we become addicted to. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not absolutely. a psychologist either. You've got so, some funny storytellers coming on too. Uh, and we've got some great, yeah, exactly. The story, yeah. it's not like it's like, okay, the stories, now it's time to be serious. We're going to be listening to some celebration stories. It's, they're funny stories. Yeah. And uh, I think the improvisers are going to have a, a great time too. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a really fun time. I'm really looking forward yeah. to that. The show. 20th Winnipeg Improv Festival. It starts tomorrow, runs through the weekend. WinnipegImprov.com kicks off with a show, Celebrate Everything, tomorrow night at the Gas Station Arts Center with our friends from Winnipeg Love and Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. Stephen Sim, Artistic Director and Founder of the Winnipeg Improv Festival. Thanks for coming in. And Raymond, thank you, sir. Thank you very much, Jeff Braun, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. I guess we owe some thanks to Cora's downstairs. It's funny because Cora's restaurant is right next door to Cora's radio. <laughs> that is kind of weird. Yeah. But they brought up some food, and our friend down the hall, Sam Stevens from Peggy at 99.1, walks in with a plate and says, Hey, guys, Cora's brought up some food, so here you go. Some kind of a bacon, brie, apple, toasted sandwich, and delicious potatoes, so... Thank you. I, I don't know why, but if someone brings me free food, I uh, don't really need an explanation. Was your tummy rumbling? Yes. Did, was did you say it's rumbling, grumbling, What would growling? you say, Loren? I'd say, you, you mean like whether it's rumbling, grumbling, like what was his stomach what's doing? The term, or like what's, what's the, the terminology? What, what, what Grum- you... I say grumbling. Grumbling. Okay, yeah. I but think I, just, I, I think it's rumbling. Grumbling would be when you're like... Well, you're kind of angry. Yeah. You're muttering under your breath. Well, that the, the sound you just made, though, McNabb, is pretty indicative of what my stomach sounds like when I am hungry. That was actually really good. So maybe, well, I like to grumble. And I or to, mumble? I like to grumble and mumble, and I guess maybe my stomach is reflective of that as well. So Sam and Peggy at 99.1 save the day. Sounds like Cookie Monster trapped. <laughs> in your in your stomach, and he's trying to get out. <laughs> I don't know. Also, want to say thanks to the good people over at Superlube Auto Centers. Kelly Moore and I yesterday were at the location at twenty twenty eight Pemina Highway, and all month long, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, they've got this great campaign where if you go in and you make a five dollar donation, you get a set of pink caps for your tires, and you get a certificate for a free winter tire installation, which is pretty handy because you're going to need your winter tires on soon. No kidding. Uh, if you make a $10 do- donation, you get that, and then a toque, and for 25 bucks, you can also get this awesome roadside safety kit, and they've been, they do this all month, like it wasn't just for the four hours that we were there. They're trying to raise $15,000, and one gentleman actually came in and and donated enough money for two roadside safety kits okay and then he walked over and he handed it to me and said i only need one. Oh wow and he just left i didn't even get his name so thanks to him and thanks to a listener greg who came in and ross and uh, kim who works at the super lube says she listens to cjob all day every day and she was very thankful she says i know your whole story I know your whole story. I know that you're, didn't you just recently, uh, you know, go through a breakup and you're, you're in a new apartment and you get everything settled at the couch. So uh, it was just nice to, to meet Kim and to meet everybody, you know, who pays such close attention to what mm. we do around here at CJOB. It's funny, you forget what you say sometimes and then someone will, you know, you run into a friend and like, yeah, no, I heard you say that already. And I'm like, where? <laughs> you're recycling <laughs> material. Yeah. You already I'm used getting, it on I'm the like, air. You I'm can't like, use I'm this in this old. conversation. I've heard, I've heard this story. Not interested. You're boring me. <laughs> well, and actually, I think, and it may have been Kim at the same Superlube last year because uh, someone at the Superlube said, or I think it was there, said, hey, you're the guy who got your uh, your eyebrows done, right? You went and got your eyebrows waxed? <laughs> and I said, yeah. 
And she says, I've been trying to get my husband to do that for years. Really? Yeah. So it's just funny what, what the, the details that, that people remember. So we've, we appreciate that connection that we have with you very much. And especially when it pertains to the feedback that you share with us, whether it's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we put, uh, oh, speaking of Twitter, we need a new question of the day. I knew I was forgetting something. There's always one thing that we forget and it's the question of the day. I haven't even thought about it once. You, you know, we always talk about this microphone being a vacuum of honesty, Loren. And it's funny because Brett's just sitting here. We're just we're just doing the show. And then he legitimately, genuinely realized that he had forgotten that we need to put up a question of the day. So you, you got it pure. You got it real mm-hmm. uh, from Brett McGarry. But you know what? Uh, you mentioned that whole that whole story about the gentleman who gave you the roadside assistance kit. That's like the good side of Winnipeg. We see that all the time. Perfect, yes. And I think that that's why we're getting frustrated, so many of us, with this idea that there are individuals in our community, sometimes they're working together, and they're just helping themselves to things, whether it's alcohol, whether it's guitars, whether it's steak and cheese, whether it's clothing. Um, I can safely say that forever, I'd not ever really been exposed to that stuff. And I spent a lot of time in shopping malls. As a, now, as a restaurant guy, we always had something called a walkout fund, and that's going back 25 years. We always had that because every once in a while, someone would scam you and run out on their bill. So this isn't brand new, the things that are happening, but they seem to be more open. People just seem to be more brazen and more comfortable with the idea that I'm just going to come in and I'm just going to take whatever I want, Loren. And I think that that's when you, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think that that's where we're struggling now because it's not what we're used to. We're used to celebrating the good. And now we're looking at ourselves and, and nothing's been harder for me than the ideas that it really felt like we turned this corner, as you've always talked about, Greg, in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba in terms of reputation and development and downtown and that feeling that we're really becoming something and proud and unique in our own way. And then this happens. And I've had relatives come in the last month and make comments about different things about crime in Winnipeg. And I, and I think, oh, no, I hate that we're here again, that we've cycled back potentially to this era that I, I'd like to think we left behind. Now, we do know Winnipeg isn't alone in dealing with this. We know that there's, we, we talked to liquor stores and other stores, uh, retail stores, Alberta, Ontario, about crime being up 100, 200, 300 percent. It's a Canadian wide problem. But when I think about our reputation in, in Winnipeg and Manitoba for both being friendly, but also in the past of having that crime problem, it's bo- it's, I think that's maybe why I'm additionally bothered. Hey, question of the day, by the way, since I don't have the new one, we'll read you yesterday's question, which was... Environmentally are, friendly. What's that? Environmentally friendly. Yeah, well, recycling. <laughs> that's right. So are you happy with the outcome of the federal election? And 64% said no, 22% said yes, and 14% said, I'm not sure. We'll see how it goes. We'll get a new question up for you soon for Mr. <laughs> Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness, 204-832-6243. Richard Cloutier is going to join us after we check the forecast. Loren, what's he going to tell us? He wants to talk to us about what's happening at the legislative buildings legislature this morning. Quickly, Brett, on your eyebrows, listener just texted that she tells her, my wife gives him an ultimatum, wax it, tweeze it, and know your dumb electric trimmer doesn't get close enough. (laughs) 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 Just because you were talking about your eyebrows, and I was like, yeah, no, I could see the electric trimmer would not get the job done. I knew it. Well, (laughs) see, I, I would prefer to use the trimmer, but the wax is much cleaner. But the problem whenever I get it done is like my eyebrows, like, they almost they scab. Yeah, they scab yeah. and they swell. So I need to figure out a way to, like, 
It's almost like I need to put my face in some sort of emergency ice lockdown as soon as I go get my eyebrows done because the last time it was bad. Face like a wash. Week. You just need a face wash. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and Loren McNabb, we have a guest in studio by the name of Michelle. What is she here for? I thought you were going to go with the fourth M. <laughs> Michelle Finley in the studio with us because it's a fabulous event that uh, Habitat for Humanity does every single year, a couple times a year for a fundraiser. And Michelle's in to talk about that. But first, just as a reminder, Michelle, for those who don't know, Habitat, br- bringing homes to Manitobans who might otherwise not be able to afford them. Yeah, uh, Habitat for Humanity Manitoba is uh, one of the larger home builders uh, in the province. Um, they've built nearly 400 homes uh, across Manitoba. And I think what's really unique about uh, Habitat for Humanity uh, Habitat for Humanity's uh, housing model is that people purchase the homes. I think there's still a misconception that people are uh, given a free home, but that's actually not the case. They purchase the homes at fair market value, um, and they do pay a mortgage uh, each month ongoing. There's, there's that sweat equity involved yes. with regard to the down payment, and that's such an innovative way to to help people who are responsible, who are deserving, get their foot in the door, get them in the housing market. I can remember the the first build in Manitoba was that like 25 years ago. Like Manitoba seems to have a tremendous relationship with the Habitat for Humanity. Fair to say? Yeah, Manitoba is uh, probably one of the stronger um, affiliates across the world. Um, We've had two Jimmy Carter builds here uh, over time, which I think is pretty unique. Um, And we also were the location, I think, for the first restore uh, in um, in uh, Canada, maybe in North America, maybe ever. Um, and the Restore is a really interesting funding model because it covers most of the administration costs, if not all of the administration really? costs for Habitat. So when you donate to Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, you can be assured that uh, almost all of your donation is going straight into building a home. And the really cool thing is that uh, when people pay their mortgages back to Habitat, all that money goes back into building more houses. So it's almost like your gift is perpetual. It's recycling. Yeah, like it is re- like recycling. recycling. It's like your your gift just keeps giving. Oh, hold on. So the is the mortgage held by Habitat yeah. for Humanity? I didn't realize. Yeah, it that. is. Mortgage uh, or Habitat holds the mortgages, and uh, the homeowners pay their mortgages back to Habitat for Humanity, and that money goes back into the program uh, and continues to build more houses. Well, that's fascinating. So the event well, tomorrow, the women build. Oh, you know what? You go ahead, Loren. No, I was just going to step in because that's what I like to do. <laughs> Well, go ahead, step but, in. But what I was going to say is the event that you're hosting uh, this week revolves around the idea of one of the things you also do in your builds is the women's build, and that's bringing women together to help build the home for uh, another family and, and giving some women the skills that they might not otherwise have the chance to get in terms of a construction site. And so in part of empowering women, you have this women's speakers series. Is this the second year, I think, for it, Michelle? Yeah, we started off with the program and we decided we were going to try it. Um, It was a new fundraiser that I came up with and we decided we were going to try it for four editions. Uh, And luckily, Qualico came on board as our presenting sponsor and said, yeah, try this out for four four times and we'll see if this is something that the community is interested in in supporting. And so far, so good. We've had four four amazing speakers step up. Um, And I kind of came up with the idea because it ties into what Women Build is all about. And it's about empowering women and giving women a platform to share their expertise. And I found that there was a lack of 
women out there speaking uh, in front of groups and hearing about, you know, women in really non-traditional roles. So we've had uh, Mariette Moller, she's uh, from the World Trade Center. We had Dr. Gigi Osler, she was the first female surgeon, uh, president of the Canadian Medical Association. We had Dana Spiring, who everyone knows is just like a powerhouse. Of, I call her Dana Inspiring. Yeah, she's amazing. And uh, tomorrow we have Dr. Jeanette Montefiore. Uh, she is a leading transportation engineer in the world um, and really like a pioneer in a male-dominated uh, field. So uh, tomorrow she's going to talk a little bit about how we can encourage young women and girls to get into STEM careers. So those careers in science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, all the money we've raised, we've raised just about $17,000 so far through the speaker series. And that goes towards building uh, the Women Build House. And uh, we're going to build, we're going to start our 17th home uh, next year. And so far, Women Build has raised $1.5 million dollars. Wow. Yeah, since it started. So it's a pretty it's a pretty important part of Habitat for Humanity Manitoba, and I'm really ha- excited to be part of it every year. Loren, you've been a part of that, much mm-hmm. to the chagrin of, of those that work beside you, I suspect. I think it's because I get to have bacon in the morning <laughs> when I do these events. But that tomorrow, we're Lisa Dutton from Global TV, the 6 o'clock anchor, is taking over the MC duties. And your speaker tomorrow, I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing uh, her many times. She's a remarkable woman for empowering many in the engineering community, Michelle. Yeah, like I was saying, uh, engineering tends still to be a male-dominated field, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hear Jeanette's insights on how we can encourage girls and young women to, like, move towards those STEM careers, because I think there's a lack of women in those careers, and women just bring such a unique, um, you know, a, a unique dynamic to those careers, and I think it's really important that we see those numbers go up. I was working towards a compliment there, Loren, <laughs> with regard to being on site and, and learning how to, to build a home and to do all the different things. Because uh, when we say a woman build or a women's build, that's yes. exactly what it is, right? Well, I was thinking you were talking about the speaker series event, which has bacon. There are there is no bacon on the construction site. They do they do bring some luncheon, but it is fat. It's a wonderful event because personally for me, I would never have been on a construction site before. So I think I've done it six years, maybe five years in a row now, where you get to go down, spend the day at one of the homes that's going up. You get to meet the families, which last year was this lovely mom, single mom of three, who was just excited to have supper around the kitchen table with her kids, as opposed to cramming. Every everybody into their tiny apartment. And so you get to work with these women, you get to work with tools, you get to have them teaching you how to put windows in and how to use uh, different things on the construction site. Again, I only ever get to use the hammer, but (laughs) I'm working my way up, Michelle. It's, um, I think the Women Build site, what's really important for everyone to know, it's not about the exclusion of men on the site. It's about the inclusion of women where there normally aren't that many. And there's jobs for everybody there. So if you're not comfortable using the, you know, the saws and climbing up and, you know, hanging siding up top, there's jobs for everyone on site. And there's actually jobs for everyone as part of Habitat. It's one of the great things about the organization is that if you want to help build a house, we'll find a job for you to do. So whether that's, you know, doing food services for the volunteers or maybe you like to do fundraising like I do. I never go to the build site. It's uh, it's just I don't really want to do that. So uh, but <laughs> you, I really, help all, you help elsewise. But I help el- other ways that I can. And uh it's just been the most fulfilling, uh, one of the most fulfilling charities that I've worked with. And what's cool about it, too, is that companies can get involved. So I know that different organizations in the past, Great, Great West Life or Hydro or other, have, have 
supported or sponsored their employees to take that day off and then they help pay into the system. Is that right, Michelle? And then that that's money, that donation goes towards the home and then their staff members get to be a part of a really cool experience. Yeah, it's really uh, it's a really unique team building experience and uh, you can do that through the Women Build um, as well. The Women Build House offers a lot of team building um, opportunities. It's really neat because sometimes you go out there and you'll have, you know, the filing clerk working next to the CEO holding up drywall and it's just an amazing experience. You get to spend the whole day. I think what is really the cherry on the cake, though, is if you get an opportunity to go to the key ceremony and that's Mm -hmm. when the new homeowner officially gets the keys to their new house. And I have been part of many of those ceremonies and every single one is incredibly emotional. I remember I actually used to work for Habitat a long time ago and the fir- on my first day on the job, I got to go to a key ceremony and this little kid came in and he was standing in a room in the bedroom and he's like, this is my room. This is the first time I'm going to have my own room in my own space. He was like from a family of seven or something and the kid was just standing there in awe and I remember just sobbing and being like, wow, I can't believe I get to work here every day. Um, and it still has the same impact on me now. Well, you know, we often say in this business, if we have a discussion and it reaches one person's ears, we've done our job. We have a text message at 780-6868 asking, how do you qualify for Habitat? If you're interested in becoming a Habitat homeowner, you would just need to go to habitat.mb.ca and you can go right to the website and there's a whole section on the application process. And if you have any questions, you can call the office. They're more than happy to kind of walk you through it. Um, There is, of course, a a waiting period. And uh, this is a good opportunity to talk about the 500 hours of sweat equity that you need to put into. So that's another really cool part about the Habitat homeownership model is that the homeowners actually put in sweat equity on the home. They have to put in 500 hours of labor on their own property. So they're going to be there um, working side by side with you. Um, and it just, it's just, I think it just adds another layer to the pride of homeownership and the accomplishments uh, that these folks, um, you know, are able to achieve through Habitat. I think it also helps them, and apologies, I just want to say one last thing. It helps them give back to, not just to their home, but to others. I think the mom, the single mom in the last home started volunteering before she even got her home and now works on other build sites because it's meant so much to her that she keeps giving back. Yeah, many homeowners keep returning back to the program and stay involved with Habitat throughout the, for many years after they take ownership. The event is tomorrow. It's RBC Convention Center, 7.15 to 9 a.m. Tickets are $60 each. 7.15, 7.15, why so early? Uh, it's a breakfast <laughs> event. We find people like to come in and support Habitat before they start their day, and the time slot works real well for us. That's so- great. Sounds like lunch to us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> We'll be there. And uh, one of our listeners said, I loved what she just said, meaning you, Michelle. It's not about the exclusion of men, but the inclusion of women. What an amazing statement. So uh, th- that's resonating with people as well. Thanks for what you do, Michelle. Thanks great very much, you. and thanks for global support. Michelle Finley is chair of the Women Build Speaker Series with Habitat for Humanity, Manitoba, and you can get more information at habitat.mb.ca on this great event happening tomorrow morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.
For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms. <laughs> 